0: such a time as this, The Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. And I want to welcome to the show today, Johnny Vedmore. And some of you may have heard him on my show in recent weeks. He is an investigative journalist with practically encyclopedic knowledge of the wrongdoings and connecting the dots of the global elites that have been systematically working to undermine constitutional rights in the U.S., charter rights in Australia and Canada, and the British freedom that people have enjoyed as well. Johnny has done programs with us on the Wellcome Trust role in some of the global propaganda control and also bringing to light some of the nefarious actions of Jeremy Farrar and Sir Richard Sykes, former CEO of GlaxoSmithKline, linking big pharma and the global elites. Today, we're going to talk more about... The unknown to most people background of Henry Kissinger. Now, I'm old enough that I remember when Kissinger was secretary of state in the United States in the Richard Nixon presidency and the historic trip to China in the Nixon administration. But what most people don't know is that Henry Kissinger is the who is still alive today. And he was the author of a classified report that has since been declassified. But it was the 1974 report on world population trends and recommendations And few people realize that Henry Kissinger led the movement for depopulation of the world, claiming there were too many people on Earth, that led ultimately to the 1994, 20 years later, population accords in Egypt, and subsequent events that have their tentacles affecting All that's going on now with what we've experienced with the COVID shot. So stay tuned, hang on to your seats. You really want to hear what Johnny Vedmore is going to bring to us today. So Johnny, you have just an extraordinary research background and knowledge about all of this. So Let's call this the Kissinger report, the truth behind the man that the public has seen.
1: Okay, I like the sound of that now henry kissinger who's, uh heinz kissinger heinz alfred kissinger born over a hundred years ago i mean that's uh, that's amazing that he's he's still about um and toddling around and he was of course from the uh born of a family in a very powerful part of uh, germany called bavaria um and uh, it, with a, a massive history and his his um mother was paula uh, and his father was Louis Kissinger. And people would think, oh, you know, if you read the stories, you'll find out that um, uh, Henry Kissinger, he, him and his family, when he was about I don't know, 14, 15, I think it is, uh, run away from Nazi Germany. And they go to New York and they seek safety. And soon Kissinger's recruited into the army when World War II um, uh, is going on. And he moves his way up the ranks. He gets incredible. He, like he, he, It's almost like all throughout his life, someone was there who was extremely important at the time to lift him up. And one of the first people to lift him up because a young Henry Kissinger, young Heinz Kissinger, um, he changed his name to Henry when the family um, uh, fled Nazi Germany and moved to America. Uh, And this young Henry Kissinger, he was in the trenches with of the famous fritz kramer you know fritz kramer is um a wonderful uh a, a figure um a, 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 described as a, a nietzschean firebrand fire you know uh really really just like uh, a, almost a caricature of the time this like a german guy who had run uh, like fought running battles against communists and fascists in the streets of of Berlin and all of this you know and these people every time Kissinger uh stepped he seemed to be stepping around these people and it's not a surprise his mum um and his father were were, uh moving in extremely influential circles um in a, a way that uh is very interesting his um mother Paula Kissinger worked for uh, as a housemaid she was like uh, the kosher maid she made sure everything was kosher in the Jewish household um, of an extremely uh, famous his name's escaping me it will come back in a second I'm actually writing an article about him yeah his name still escapes me at the moment Um, a very famous one of the founders of Israel he, he he was a very important person. She was working in the housemaid and young Henry Kissinger would um, uh, go, go and it's uh, Nahum Goldman. I've, d- I've also written an article about Guido Goldman and Guido Goldman's Nahum Goldman's son. Nahum Goldman was one of the uh, main Zionist leaders, one of the people who lobbied for the creation of Israel and basically uh, had an office within the UN when the UN was made to lobby for the state of Israel and eventually is known as one of the founding fathers. And his son, Guido Goldman, um, uh, would uh, would be alongside, would study alongside Henry Kissinger. Um, Like I say, uh, Henry Kissinger's mother worked within Guido Goldman's household and the Goldmans and the Kissingers got on really well. And there was a lot of this sort of like mixing of these really big, people within Kissinger's history you know Nathan Goldman is a massive in, uh, like individual uh, Fritz Kramer is a massive individual Guido Goldman himself goes on to be a you know a really important player in history and out in front of them were two more because Henry Kissinger went to Harvard and there were two more really important people who would lift him up and send him on a direction an amazing direction it would lead us to things like the creation of the World Economic Forum uh, so like in in the shadows as well and all all of the different things you saw uh, him going into government all of this was made possible by when he left i think it was in 1950 that he left harvard um and he wanted to go and join the first he applied to join um the fbi if i remember correctly and mcgeorge bundy who was also serving in government at the time and um uh, or would serve under JFK eventually. Uh, McGeorge Bundy, Bundy said, no, 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 no. You should uh, go to the CFR and game out nuclear warfare. And <laughs> basically that's what they did. They nominated Henry Kissinger to go to the CFR. Uh, at the same time, there was a special, they, he, he, Kissinger had been given a mentor, a really powerful mentor, someone really important at Harvard that w- would create something at, at, with Kissinger at the helm Um, uh, called eventually called Kissinger's International Seminar and this man was William Yandel Elliott and William Yandel Elliott was a Harvard grandee, but he was also advisor to six different US presidents. And he was always in the background, a really strange looking figure, really interesting, really interesting. And he had uh, uh, guided um, Kissinger and he wanted to create a new way to educate leaders. He, William Yandel Elliott had this crazy idea that looks a lot like the young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. And in a sense, that started in 1950, 51 when he and henry kissinger run the first kissinger international seminar uh, at harvard um and it, it, the first year was a pilot and then afterwards it started to really build up where they basically offered scholarships to 50 to 100 potential leaders that they could find around the world um i found in La lahore gazette in i think it's 1957 uh, 1958 and 1959 an advert for kissinger's international seminar and it says you will pay everything you come to us if you g- g- get through but you have to have the highest grades the best you have to be like have the best potential and then everything will be paid for you and you can study at this special summer school at harvard and this summer school was fantastically interesting and the magazine was funded by rockefeller money and later on in 1967 it was re- in 1967 it was revealed um but in the new york times and other papers including the harvard crimson uh that um harvard uh, the half Kissinger's International Seminar had been funded by the CIA between the years 1960 and 1966 and they were they didn't release the information before so the creation of Kissinger's International Seminar was obviously the foundation was William Yandel Elliot who Kissinger said um, should be the one everybody It should be called Yandel Elliot's International Seminar uh, on the first year he says that um, suddenly there's this power structure out of Harvard that was growing and Kissinger was this guy who was young, talented. He wrote the biggest dissertation in Harvard's history and people were just enamored with him wherever he went. Uh, all of these grandees of the CFR just took him up and he would go even further because, I mean, of course, then you're talking by 1957, uh, he's writing foreign policy um, and nuclear war and mapping out like um, uh, perpetual warfare and, and selling it to the masses. And it's, it's being taken up. I mean, Kissinger's at this point... The great new thing and everything he says, you know, uh, John Foster Dulles is in newspapers saying, oh, no, this is what we're going to do now. This is our this is all of our strategy is based around basically Kissin- Kissinger's ideas of how to to uh, go forward within war. And this whole time seems driven by Kissinger. It's extremely fantastic. But this they had already studied, gamed it out. That's what Kissinger was doing at the CFR. That's one of the most interesting things about the CFR. He was mapping out and gaming out what could potentially happen. And eventually um he was able, in a sense, to see the future. And that was with the help of people like Herman Kahn. Now, I wrote about Herman Kahn, Henry Kissinger, and the infamous John Kenneth Galbraith, who's um Uh, a democratic politician of the highest order really he's he's teacher of jfk loads of stories about john kenneth galbraith real grandee of the political circuit during the 50s 60s um, and 70s and the three of these people were intimately involved in mentoring and finding mentors for these young potential global leaders that were being put through kissinger's international seminar at harvard they wanted to find the best. So people like Valerie Destang, who became president of France, went through it. Pierre Trudeau went through it. Me- interestingly and where i was studying it was klaus schwab went through it and he's a really great example of of what kissinger's international seminar was and interestingly he went through his father told him that eugen schwab told klaus if you want to be famous then uh, or big and you want to be successful you've got to go to harvard because that's where everything is and his father had tried to help make um, atomic bombs for the nazis uh, using heavy water i mean so his father was obviously the uh, good point at the place where the nuclear debate was at its thickest. Um, And when Klaus Schwab went in 1965, he left in 1967. Well, 1967 was the year that... Course he went on this Harvard's international uh, Kissinger's international seminar was exposed as CIA funded the year that Schwab actually left, um, and it's really interesting, really interesting that he was then given mentor Schwab by Kissinger. he Was given John Kenneth Galbraith and Herman Kahn. And Herman Kahn is a real Doctor Strangelove, the person who is supposedly Stanley Kubrick based Doctor Strangelove on. He's just like um he worked for the Hudson Institute. Uh, he was an extremely intellectual man. Um, a extremely clever, could game out everything, just like Kissinger had done in the CFR. um, And these people would take Klaus (laughs) Schwab on to create the World Economic Forum, but Kissinger would take a back seat on that. Kissinger was very much like that. Kissinger wasn't just setting up one part program. That's just a good example of it.
0: Let me just make sure that my audience caught what you just said. So the Klaus Schwab that people are hearing about today davos world economic forum great reset klaus schwab man who wants to control the world was connected with henry kissinger in 1967 did we get that right
1: yep completely very
0: same one
1: it now now finding out I, I i knew that something happened after studying klaus schwab's father and discovering uh klaus that he was a uh, managing director of a model nazi company during the war that was central to the atomic bomb effort the uh, um uh, which and the Americans would have found him afterwards and there he did come up in denazification uh programs as well uh, Klaus Schwab's father but Klaus Schwab was told by his father you know go to this place and he went there and he later when I was trying to work out who Klaus Schwab's father was I came across a quote that Klaus Schwab says about his father he said my father said that if I wanted to be accessed I should go to Kissinger's international seminar and Kissinger um was kind enough just to let me sit in I didn't have to pay for Anything, but he was already lying there, and that gave me a clue. That's the reason I investigated this international seminar in the first place, was Klaus Schwab said a lie that I knew was a lie. I knew that you, you was on scholarship, you know, you got pay everything paid for. So of course. Um, and then when I investigated, it was just fantastic. It just it, it it was set up. Kissinger's international seminar was set up in three stages. Um, and it was there to train young global leaders, to to uh train them to go into their own areas areas and he went he was given uh Herman Kahn and John Kenneth Galbraith as mentors by henry kissinger in 1967 and they were the people who stood on the stage with him when the european management symposium <laughs> the original world economic forum was created uh in 1971 and the first uh, the keynote speakers were otto van hopsberg with a co-keynote speaker jo- john kenneth galbraith um, up on stage so schwab's mentors given to him by kissinger are there at the creation and then they take a back seat kissinger returns to the world economic forum in 1980, where he makes a... He doesn't even go to the first one. He takes, like I say, a backseat. There's other programmes happening, because once Kissinger's International Seminar is discovered as a CIA-funded programme in 1967, then it falls apart. Kissinger goes into office uh, under uh, Nixon, and slowly they create another version, another set of leadership programmes that run out of... um, By Guido Goldman, who's Kissinger's best friend, literally known as Kissinger's... uh, uh, pillow fluffer at this point because he's staying with in Kissinger's apartment nearly all of the time in New York and they're living like a comedy couple. Guido Goldman is a hilarious character. I I, I I quite admire him in many ways but um also in the background he was doing lots of nefarious actions and they're the ones who he was the one who created a German Marshall Fund that then run other young uh, leadership programs out of as well.
0: Well when did go back for a moment Kissinger's International Seminar actually started in what year? Was it 1967 or was 67 when the CIA funding was... Connected. yes 19 it's
1: 1950 1950 was a pilot 1951 was the first one then it ran every year with magazines throughout the year called confluence that were published with all the lectures within them and then uh it, in 1967 it was exposed um uh, basically humphrey humphrey Dorman, who was uh, at harvard had to expose it for harvard crimson knowing that the new york times was about to run a story along with another uh, paper so it was exposed in 1967 it run for 17 years 17 years
0: wow and not only that 71 was when the initial wef it was under a different name at that point what began and then changed later to the world economic forum but so Kissinger, after the CIA connection was discovered, took, this, took a back seat, but it was 72 when Nixon was elected and Nixon brought in Kissinger into his administration
1: yeah 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 um there was something happening around that time though it was almost like um that sort of faction within government had had won uh, and had a low had a plan to put out you know had a, had an agenda and they wanted they needed kissinger to be involved at the highest level so other people had to uh, nearly everything that happened around uh was led by kissinger kissinger was pushing loads of buttons during this time for instance in pakistan um Zufika Ali Bhutto was uh coming up to power, Benazir Bhutto's father. Um they were they were having like a, a a nuclear arms race with India next door. India was about to get the bomb and Kissinger was going to pretend that they were saying to Pakistan, no, you can't have the bomb, but was helping supply the materials behind the the, the scenes to create this uh sort of like standoff between the two. So they, he had his fingers in loads of pies all over the place. He was just really important. In that era, uh, running up to, I'd say, like you say, 1974, and then he basically goes into uh, he's like a chairman of the board at that point. Some of these people kind of go into a form of retirement, I think that's because of um, how the Nixon uh era ended, and um, uh, and that a lot of people felt they had to distance it, but then he reset himself as a true globalist later, Henry Kissinger. And, I mean, one of the really important things to understand, the circle of life to understand, is that eventually the World Economic Forum would create uh, the global leaders for tomorrow program which would eventually be then reformed in 2004 um into the young global leaders program that we hear so much about today justin trudeau and all or nearly all the leaders come through this program you know all all of the leaders coming through this program well that program was funded with a one million dollar prize that was given by the dan david foundation directly to schwab for all his hard work in 2004 while kissinger was on the board of the dan david foundation so kissinger actually funded the young global leaders program into existence the exact replica of the program it really is basically an exact replica of Kissinger's international seminar a a seminar he himself was trained through
0: that really is just fascinating and I don't think most people today have any understanding of that long history and, and Kissinger's role. In, in the time we have left in the first segment, what are a couple of key bullet points that you want people to take away?
1: it's hard, it's hard to know what to take away because at the same time as we're watching that generation from the past and i've mapped this out what i see is a mirror image happening in the next generation so there's a new generation you have to understand what kissinger was what type of creature Kissinger really was because kissinger herman kahn klaus schwab these these three guys definitely were the same creature they were basically technocrats they were looking to advanced technology and that's kind of what what all of their moves were to make sure that their own country remained superior so that the global balance remained basically even so that wars didn't break out and that was what their idea that's what their rationale was so so what we see now is the same sort of uh people appearing of this new generation but they're like the neotechnocrats they're, they're this new brand of technocrat like led by the people like elon musk and peter Thiel, and yet they have the same characteristics as all of the people who were from the Kissinger era um, in the way that they're worshipped by certain people in government. And they're obviously going to be able to take power to a certain extent at some point, And they're going to drive for, forward technologies that will be both productive, but extremely dangerous. And this is what this is what really when I've studied um, why uh, it was so important to understand who Klaus Schwab's mentors were um, we and what Kissinger was doing at the time, you understand that they were using technology to take over, to map out the future, um, planning out all of the technologies that would come. And when you look into the distant future, it is, and not in, now not so far away, it's very scary what type of technologies will exist.
0: Yes, it absolutely is. And in fact, um, we have been discussing a lot of that on all of the radio shows I've been doing because not only the artificial intelligence, but now Elon Musk, Neuralink was also approved by the FDA without really any detailed awareness of what it is or any studies of it. And when you start looking at efforts to control the human mind and to control people's thought processes, whether it's print propaganda, broadcast propaganda, or these newer and more insidious and, I say, demonic aspects of mind control that are using technology, It truly is extremely chilling. This is Dr. Lee for America. We'll be back with the second half of today's show right after the break. Check out our website at www.truthforhealth.org. And look at all of the resources that we have in our Truth for Health radio shows, Whistleblower Report radio shows, our Faith Over Fear seminar, and all of our educational resources, including the Vaccine Injury Treatment Guide. We will be right back after the break. Welcome to the second half of today's show. This is Dr. Lee for America here with UK investigative reporter, johnny vedmore you can follow johnny on twitter at johnny vedmore and you also can check out his website and all of the wealth of resources at johnny and that's j-o-h-n-n-y v as in victor e-d-m-o-r-e johnny thanks for all that you've been exposing about these connections between Henry Kissinger as a mentor for some of the most dangerous totalitarian global leaders that we see on the world stage today, like Klaus Schwab. And I wanted to ask you, we were talking before the break about the role of technology and how they plan to use technology to, to really control the world and control human beings both mentally and physically in other ways. What about Herman Kahn and some of his work on the use of technology? What did he predict and how do you see that connecting with all that we're seeing under the COVID tyranny and the push towards artificial intelligence, Elon Musk, Neuralink, um, the propaganda movement, all of this.
1: Well, there's some interesting stuff to talk about here because as um when when people it's really hard to predict the future. Of course it is. Of course it is. I mean, if you're given a basic two-way binary choice or it's either gonna be this or this in the future for some subject, then you know, you may get 50 50 chance you know of, of getting it right or maybe a little bit of an educated guess who knows but when you're dealing with loads of different uh, possibilities and loads of different ways that technology could go and unknown technology mapping out the idea of where technology is going to be in the future is a lot more difficult than just binary decisions and there were certain people um, who were were really the the key the godfathers of understanding technology for the future and a big one. The main, the, the main man was Herman Kahn, and he's a really interesting figure. And as I mentioned, you know, he becomes uh, a mentor um, uh, for Klaus Schwab and opens up the European Management Symposium as well, sits on the front stage looking looking pretty. He's a big, round character, um, and it basically giving his, his backing. Now, it's a really interesting story behind all of this, and I'll, I'll tell it through the, by starting off uh, telling you the one of the works that he created in 1967 and it was called uh the year 2000 um a framework for speculation on the next 33 years so in 1967 they wanted to understand what technology looked like over the next 33 years so up until the year 2000 now They did such a good job, such an accurate job, that they actually mapped out potential technology probably up until the year 2100 um they went so far and it's everything that they predicted has been proven so when i say everything they i'm talking about uh, hudson institute who uh, herman Kahn um led uh, and anthony j weiner different um, anthony weiner than the one that people know nowadays who also worked at the hudson institute along with Kahn in this year 2000 and the year 2000 must have inspired loads of people loads and loads of people must have been inspired by it and when it came Came out the technocrats the young technocrats were especially inspired so you think about um the fact that uh herman kahn himself um was hanging around within this unit being given as a mentor to uh klaus schwab as he's releasing this document and klaus schwab's a technocrat a young technocrat who's going to go away with the idea i'm going to use this uh year 2000 this almost a tick sheet of potential technologies for the future as a way to guide policy um, towards those technologies, um, so they they became very uh, important in many areas during this period, and a lot of people followed them. And the World Economic Forum, I don't think it was just a policy institute when it was created. I think it was planned to be something a lot different, and it might be currently something a lot different than we actually know. Um, when you investigate, you discover a lot of the people going through these young global leader programs uh, don't all turn out to be prime ministers and presidents. Some of them don't have names of what jobs they do. It seems to be in uh, a massive world of intelligence uh, operatives that also go through uh, the ringer of training in these things. And they're all going towards some sort of... They're all chasing some sort of goal, and most of it is technologically based. So the year 2000 mapped out some of these. um, And, you know, when you look through it, you see there's hundreds and hundreds of potential technologies, and a load of them have been achieved now, loads of them. Um, But some of them are really... uh, Um, just on the edge and that includes like um, one of the the possibilities on the year 2000 was and I'm quoting from the document now direct augmentation of human mental capacity by the mechanical or electrical interconnection of the brain with a computer so in 1967 Neuralink is being invented by Herman Kahn is being manifested. And this sort of document is really important because it's a form of evangelism, technological evangelism. You tell people, look at what you can have and what you can get to, and they will walk towards it.
0: Let's repeat that quote again, um, Johnny. That is extraordinarily, uh, that's just, uh, I find it really rather mind boggling that Herman the, the, Cain described it in 1967
1: herman Mm -hmm. kahn i'm sorry yeah yeah he said there's a few things he said i mean that's just that's just one of many one um included uh within that is a direct input into human memory banks um automated highways of course we're almost there we're coming there chemical or biological control of character or intelligence Understand what that means. Major rejuvenation and or significant extension of vigor and lifespan, say to 100 to 150 years. You know, these things were the things they were aiming for. So the Neuralink is obviously direct augmentation of human mental capacity by the mechanical or electronical interconnection of the brain with a computer. That is obviously what Neuralink is. And that was predicted well early earlier with a lot of other things. And some of the things seemed uh, esoteric to people only five years ago. They were like, there's no way that they could do all of this. But some of it is like liquid in the brain, you know, okay. and that's the same thing that the Welcome Leap program was looking at doing as well. So, I mean, there's all sorts of weird things going on now that they don't want to talk about That in those documents that they probably still wouldn't admit to um, uh, uh, it, it being true. It'd still be seen as a conspiracy theory. But what's really interesting, really interesting, is that in 1973, l- Limits uh, uh, to Growth had been written by the the Club of Rome guys and Aurelio Pecci was chosen to be the keynote speaker at the World Economic Forum, the European Management Symposium event. And Herman Kahn, who wrote the year 2000 and was a mentor to Schwab, went crazy about it. Herman Kahn didn't believe at all in the rhetoric of the club of rome in depopulation in what we could call now kissinger like rhetoric you know uh, this idea that we need to reduce the population has been whether whether you can find the uh, uh, exact quote kissinger's policies uh, manifest the reduction of population and that's what perpetual warfare allows um, for For is easier to work when you've got smaller populations as well, easier to do. So all of Kissinger's sort of policies and technologies in the sense, war technologies uh, and and, and uh, strategies, they they are all within that framework too. But yeah, it's very interesting that Aurelio Pecci uh, became a keynote speaker in 1973 and Herman Kahn then went on to write the next 200 years, which was uh, to say to the world, you don't have to worry about population at all. Eventually, we will be able to mine asteroids. We'll be going into space. We'll be doing other things. You don't need to worry about this. The, the idea that we need to reduce population is just completely false. And we can't do those wonderful things that we want to do unless we have that ability to go into space comes with lots of population, you know? You have to st- start spreading across the universe if that's the idea. Um, and that... Herman Kahn really like rallied against the Club of Rome idea afterwards as well, which I find extremely interesting. It was like almost straight away a split formed, And in the end of Herman Kahn's life and career, he started to go walk down a path, which was like saying a bit of like, I'm, you know, sorry for the past. Just a little bit, just a little bit.
0: That's very interesting because actually he's, he's correct that in order to maintain advances and creativity and innovation, you really need the growth and expansion and the development of individuality, not this central control idea that the globalists are now pushing.
1: hmm and well the the thing is is a globalist only can become globalists from individuals um and it's a really silly it's a, you look at the way all of these guys um worked during that period They had an agenda and they were sticking to that agenda and that agenda looks so far into the future. And every time you get close to that agenda now, the new agenda is created that looks too far into the future for us to see. So we never know why the actions that are happening when they're happening are manifesting because we do not understand their eventual goal. It's so far into the future for us and so far removed from our current reality that we don't understand what life will be like and what challenges we'll have Once we have half of humanity walking around augmented with some form of permanent technological advancement within them, and I quote advance or quote remarks around advancement um I, we don't know where that is going to lead but they already say well we're going to propel us towards there whether the destination is good or not and what it seems to be propelling us towards what what it feels like is towards humanity's extinction and then you read the documentation that people who have kind of like you know followed this path further down the lines start to write uh, like the, the the things that the transhumanists want to think about the uh Barbara marks hubbards and people uh god rest her soul i don't think she has a god the god would be the Ipa of computer digital world i don't know um the world they want is is so far removed from humanity there's no humaneness there anymore. and you get a feeling that was like a projection of all of these people there was no humanity left anymore and they were trying to they've been trying to change themselves into computers for a very long time
0: well, I, I think you're exactly right. I think that is the goal, transhumanism. Actually, the, the correct definition is Satan's plan to destroy humanity as God created it and sever our connection with our creator. So in the, as a spiritual battle, it is absolutely an assault on God's design of all life, not just human life, but plant life, animal life, the design of the climate of the planet i mean to think that they have the hubris to decide that carbon dioxide is a toxin when carbon dioxide that we exhale is needed for plants to use to make oxygen so that life survives and i mean they're they're hubris and they're, they're stupidity scientifically is actually staggering when you think about it but people people don't think through the common sense of what they're talking about they're talking about creating essentially automatons creating carbon copy people rather than the individual individuality with which we're designed they they want people to be slaves not individual free creative thinking human beings
1: it's truly an evil
0: agenda johnny
1: they want people to be predictable on their terms very much so they want people to be so predictable on their terms that they become them they want to be inside people's brains they don't want to just watch them on the outside they don't want to just listen to their telephone calls tap their computers they want everything they want someone's soul and they want it so that they can delete it whenever they like and you're on you're on the server you're on the cloud you're in amongst them it's a very strange world and what you talk about with um uh, co2 and stuff well that whole agenda came from a exactly 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 the same direction at exactly the same time as what was going on as what we've just talked about in between 1967 and 1973 people like Morris Strong and others were creating this environmentalism movement to uh, seed all of these ideas into people's heads and create this this sort of like uh narrative that will make sense to why you want to walk the club of rome's uh direction you know why you want to go that way of depopulation they were creating it's all around this time there was a change of the world 1967 the world Changed fundamentally in so many ways, and every time I research, it always ends up at a fundamental shift in that one year and how everything just moves on from there. And we're still living in the reality of very powerful men from 1967. That's what I what
0: think. was the trigger in 1967 that made that one year such a pivotal year?
1: I think people. I think there's two things. I think um, there had been enough time between two very important documents that were written by two of the people we we're talking about: nuclear war and foreign policy, and um on thermonuclear war. On thermonuclear war was written by Herman Kahn in 1961. A uh, three years afterwards, Stanley Kubrick would uh, bring out um, Doctor Strangelove, which basically examined the ideas of mutually assured destructions and the, the sort of ideas that Herman Kahn came across. It meant that it basically fundamentally changed how the Cold War was to develop. So over the next six years, they started to redesign and reimagine which direction they're going to go into the fight against communism and for the defeat of the Soviet Union. And so by 1967, a lot of their plans had been fulfilled, and they were really just uh, giving lectures. Um, I think the Mandeville Lectures was one where Kissinger and John Kenneth Galbraith in 1967 1968 went round talking about uh the future of war and the future of peace and all of this yet they've seen both on the opposite sides of the fence and they created this paradigm and they created new paradigms and it was a whole new shift in ideology i think it was all down to the a change in the idea of what where the cold war was heading and the stage it was in the initial stage of not knowing what was going on had now been was now over the, the, the eventual destinations and future technologies had been all mapped out it was time to walk those steps in 1967 it got to that point and i think that's why things like um the year 2000 that document is so massively important to where we go now where, where we have got to now because a lot of these people didn't know what the future looked like and they were given this idea and suddenly they just put it into action and the whole world changed around then and, and it it changed again, I think probably in the early nineties, and a lot of it is all about east west dynamics um and I think we're we're seeing the change happen again now. It seems to be a cycle
0: Well, I think you're right, and I remember a lot of what was going on at that time of course i was I really was um quite young at that time, but I remember seeing a lot of this in the news and then in that same time frame if you recall or maybe you don't recall but there was also the energy crisis that where we actually went through gasoline rationing in the same US here. odd and even days and it was really it was an odd time worldwide at that time and of course 67 was right before The Weather Underground, which were a group of Marxists, many of whom were still in power, Bill Ayers and Van Jones and many Bernadette Dorn. uh, There were a lot of those Weather Underground anarchists that started the riot at the Democrat National Convention in 1968, and they bombed the U.S. Capitol in that same era and those people are in the shadow government of the biden administration now the same Mm -hmm. marxist anarchist that were undermining the u.s stability 1967 68 69 to 73 same time frame
1: Mm -hmm. and some of the backlash from that of course is led to watergate and all of the other things as well that just just flooded out from the weather underground
0: uh, well you know there's some interesting um further information on watergate that you may already know about but but that that was a setup actually related to kissinger's influence over nixon that was Mm -hmm. designed to take nixon out because Nixon, like John F. Kennedy, was trying to expose the deep state and the CIA involvement in some of these really seriously nefarious activities. So if we look at the four US presidents that they have so viciously attacked or killed, John F. Kennedy, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan was an attempted assassination as well and President Trump with now what's going on attacking him. All four of those U.S. presidents were trying to stand against the military, industrial, big pharma complexes. They were trying to expose the deep state and the shadow role of the CIA. And all of them in my lifetime have been either assassinated attempted assassination or politically targeted and taken out of office
1: yeah but they've been surrounded by the sharks so they couldn't stop from being surrounded by sharks either especially when you look through that period like uh, you're talking about uh 70s early 80s and uh, I, how how they got into power how reagan and bush got into power seemed to be partially made by the deep state uh, messing around um and for really george to get george hw bush in as vice president um and, and and reagan was just like well we'll just get him in as well it seems that like that to me when i investigate it um but there's a lot of like you know that history during the the 70s, what the time I'm talking about, the early 60s and 70s, that led to something that we didn't see manifest until a lot later. And the infrastructure had to be built for that. Um and what you're talking about is seeing the people who were building that infrastructure behind the scenes taking down anybody who uh got in the way. And nearly all of the time they were connected with uh two men really, um uh Kissinger and uh later on George H. W. Bush has obviously got a hell of a lot of power as a head of the CIA um, and later on vice president and later on president so I mean it's a very interesting uh, group of people and I will be uh, an article that's coming up on newspace.com soon um, newspace.com is uh, my newest site and that will uh, cover this period um, uh, it will in- include um, uh, talking about the person who signed off uh, parts of Watergate and other things. And it will be a very interesting read for someone who has uh, your type of knowledge and uh, the, your listeners knowledge.
0: It, it really is um, something that has been quite striking to me, how the threads from the sixties are, were woven at a time and created the tentacles that have strangled American freedom today. And what's also interesting to me, Johnny, is that I've really had quite a a unique life because when, when I was in my early 20s, my husband, who was older, he was 14 years older than I was, He was designing educational programs with the approval of the U.S. State Department to take the College of William and Mary alumni groups on educational missions into the Soviet Union, 1974, Mm -hmm. 1975, and in the countries of Eastern Europe under communist control in 1979, and another group that he took into Red China. In 1979, these were all the times under total communist control. So in my early 20s, I experienced as a new graduate from the College of William and Mary and a a small town Virginia girl, I'm thrust into communist countries Mm -hmm. under totalitarian control with every aspect of our movements regulated and watched by armed guards in uniform. It was it was extraordinary. So uh, I I still have those memories in such depth and the, the visceral sensations of fear and intimidation that we experience that it drives a lot of my fight today to maintain liberty in America as our constitutional republic and not the mob rule of democracy that people keep saying, we have a, we're losing our democracy. We never had a democracy. We have a constitutional republic and they are very different. Venezuela is a democracy and tyranny rules. COVID tyranny has ruled because we are acting as a democracy with 51% control under now the Democrats and you see the tyranny that's resulted. Listen, we have to do more on all of this and bring these connections to light because those threads and those tentacles that were created in the 60s and 70s are what are strangling us today, and people need to understand it. So thank you for joining us today. We will have you back, and we will do further on this topic because we have to expose the evil agenda that is aimed at destroying God's gift of life and destroying all of our freedom. Johnny, you're an inspiration with your research, and we will post ways that people can follow your work. We'll have it up on the show notes. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you.